sharp-dressed former realtor Todd Kohlhepp, whose hobbies included graphic porn watching at work and committing serial murder simply because people got on his bad side, won't be getting deliveries anytime soon from Amazon. Kohlhepp posted ominous reviews for items like shovels to use for digging graves, storage locks to keep his victims in play, and weapons to do the deed on bodies plotted for said graves. In this podcast episode of Drowning Verdict, I review his crimes and his return to Slender now that there's no drive through for the Amazon review killer in prison. Drowning Verdict. I'm Chip Mahoney, and you're listening to my true crime podcast. This is a podcast where I talk about cases out there that fascinate me, and I go more in depth with the case. So thanks for joining me today. You might have found me on my YouTube or my Twitter, which is a good way to get the latest episodes in that format. If you like what you hear in the sample, click the link in the description to get to the full episode and check it out. If you're on my YouTube, uh, that's a great place to be because if you subscribe there, you're going to get the full podcast episodes in that YouTube format, as well as my other video podcast called Glock Watchers, which is a new show that I'm doing about once a week now. Uh, Drowning Verdict is twice a month. So subscribe, be part of what I do, come back for more. If you are here again because you subscribe, I totally appreciate it. So thank you so much for uh, being a part of what I do. And maybe even sharing the podcast with friends. If you think the content is good enough or if there's something new that you're learning uh, with some of the cases that I cover, because if I'm interested in it, I know you are. There's a lot of cases out there to cover. The ones that I pick, I'm totally fascinated with them, interested. And I do believe that there's something that I have to say about it. And, uh, you know, in true crime, sharing is caring. So if there's something to be learned, whether it's open and active, closed, I think it's important. So high fives all around. Appreciate you being here. And I'm going to be talking about one of, uh, yeah, a case that I'm really fascinated in. Um, Good thing, dude is behind bars, the Amazon review killer. Some of the things I'm going to be talking about are, uh, you know, reasons for him doing what he did, doing the deed, not the real estate deed, but the deed on the bodies. And, um, Also, I'm going to kind of focus in on an unsolved triple homicide and, um, you know, just talk about that a little bit because I've got some ideas as to that. So reason to stick around and listen to what I got. So the Amazon review killer, Todd Kohlhepp, um, very scary, uh, individual, um, Good thing, like I said, he is behind bars Um, since about 2016, I believe, is when the trial was uh, going off for him and, you know, the seven people that he was known and confessed to murdering. And, um, you know, as far as the people that he killed in the cases and, and everything that I could talk about in this podcast, I'm going to talk about his first crime when he was 15 years old in Arizona, which is where I happen to have my podcast where I live and, you know, know Arizona really well. But I'm going to talk about that, um, get into 
what he did um, in South Carolina. And then, of course, I'm going to talk about um, this unsolved triple homicide around the same time that he committed a quadruple homicide uh, about six months apart, which he is a person of interest in, but did not confess to it as he did confess to the other one. So I'm going to talk about that, bring up some uh, points that just stick out to me in my author mind, as I like to say, and just bring some things to uh, maybe the surface. Maybe there's some shred of truth here. But with uh, Todd Kolhep, you know, um, his first crime, a serious crime, an ugly crime, and unusual, I would say, highly unusual for a 15-year-old to commit. And that was the kidnap and uh, the rape of a 14-year-old girl back in 1986 uh, here in Arizona. So he was a 15-year-old boy, found a 14-year-old girl in the neighborhood, kidnapped her, and raped her. Um, He was, uh, you know, brought up on that one uh, pretty quickly and spent about 15 years, I think about 14, 15 years in in prison and then was released. Um, I'm going to get into that here in a minute. However, in this uh, crime that, you know, just sticks out to me, um, being that young, that serious of a crime, which I don't normally see until somebody is, you know, mid-20s to their 40s doing something like this. But the thing that really got me here with um, reviewing this first crime was uh, how he had bound, taped, and then did the, uh, the sexual assault. So... There are ways to commit that act, that horrible act, but as he um, tied and bound and so forth, that stands out to me. And for a 15-year-old, that says um, something about the person that is just highly um, twisted. And, um, you know, as he is known to be um, said uh, through his uh, family and some of the things I've read about it, that anger was the only emotion he knew how to express. So binding a girl and doing that to a 14 year old as a 15 year old and then committing that act, um, it's it's really ugly in my mind. So it just sticks out. And you know, if I was ever um, part of that, as far as like a, a lawyer in the case or an investigator, I'd just draw a big circle around that because it, it really just stands out to the type of person that you're dealing with that as it says, and it did say in the report that he could not be re- rehabilitated, that they couldn't see any jail time doing any difference and I would agree with that and I think people with that kind of background and experience um, in that you know psychology and things like that which I don't have uh, too much experience with and I can't comment on but I would imagine that just stood out so he was released uh, about 14 years later um, and there's another thing that stands out to me because he was released in August of 2001 and I think that's a was a great time to be released from prison and maybe starting a new life because a month later we had 9-11 and with 9-11 the whole world changed everybody was focused on it uh people can barely remember the movies that came out during that time um you know the other crimes that were happening i think the only one that people remember was uh, probably chandra levy because it was a big case but that was before 9-11 then after 9-11 everything changed so uh Kolhep gets out of uh, prison and relocates from Arizona to South Carolina um, because he had, it looks like, and from what I've read, a really close relationship with his mother. 
and that's kind of interesting to me um, but I'm not gonna talk too much about that but just that time frame from August 2001 to released you know getting out of prison going to try to start a new life somewhere seems like that would be the best time to do it and um, you know as I say uh, you know the devils and the distractions more than the devils in the details so when you can be distracted by something and have everybody looking one way and focused on something and you're trying to do something else especially with uh, you know uh, bad intentions it's more likely you can do it so he's there in uh, South Carolina area um, 2001 starting a new life but planning a new life in crime and one of the points I want to talk about here is that the word or the term serial killer is often used to um, you know express you know the type of crimes that he was doing or who he was and listed as a serial killer now he did have seven victims that he confessed to get into that but it seems to me that when a family member says the only emotion that he can express is anger and the incidents and the murders that he has uh, you know been known for and is on record for most of what I see has to do with him getting bothered by something rather than typical serial killer stuff um, the stalking of the victim the you know selecting victims uh, that look a certain way having a type of victim that he's going after it seemed to me that whenever he was um, embarrassed ridiculed um, pissed off somewhat offended just the things that happen in normal life a lot of the times but it seemed like when it happened to him that's what made him load the gun and you know prepare to do what he was going to do so you didn't want to piss him off because anger was the 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 way in which he can express the emotion he can express it any other way so with the the main uh i would say the the quadruple homicide that happened at the uh, superbike motor sports shop in chesney south carolina a place i've never been to but sounds like a real rural place but um with the employees and the people that work there and his interactions with them buying a bike from them that looks like it was on auction uh, as well after the fact after he got busted but it's reported that those people that work there really kind of um, ridiculed him in a way or maybe they just you know maybe that's just how they talked and he just took it a different way but it's reported and what I've seen is about him you know feeling embarrassed by that and upset because they didn't want to you know return the bike that they sold to him they made fun of him for not being able to ride the bike properly and you know it's just the wrong guy to say it to and people like um Kolheb are few and far between and so what he did was go back to the the store at a certain point and it was in november of 2003 and basically execute all the people that worked there four people uh one shot to the head each of them and he later told police about that which made them know for sure he did it because they didn't release that information and that was the superbike uh, quadruple homicide now six months prior to that there was a triple homicide at a bank called the Blue Ridge Savings Bank in a place called Greer South Carolina which was about 35 miles uh, you know difference between Greer and Chesney where the superbike murders occurred 
So this was prior to, you know, the crime that he confessed to later on. And it was about six months prior in May of 2003. Um, person somewhat described as Cole Hip. Uh, it doesn't match up too well with the hair, but it does match up with the height, I think. Um, and there is a sketch of it on the FBI uh, website uh, for Most Wanted um, in that area doesn't really seem to fit as far as the physical profile but nonetheless there were three people who were executed in that bank and for what seemed as uh, as really no reason um possibly because um people that were were there an elderly couple doing the transaction and they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time and that bothered the the person doing the robbery and decided to execute everybody um, however, to have something so um, similar in a way, as far as the executions and the brutality of it, so close and within that time frame, what it says to me is that it's more than likely that uh, Todd Kohlhepp is a strong person of interest here, that it's something that he could have done and I would say that it, it is up there. I, you know, I can't say, obviously I can't say that he did it because he didn't confess to it and they don't have the evidence for that but I can say that I have my reasons and my reasons are this that when he was there in South Carolina starting that new life he did not get his real estate license he didn't he didn't start making bank if you will until about 2006 when he got the license and then it takes a while to to start high rolling in that field so I don't think he was making money until he was until about 2007 2008 he lied on his application for the real estate license that he never committed a felony he got the license issued in uh, 2006 but three years prior to 2006 we have these brutal murders one of which he confessed to the other he said he had nothing to do with it nothing to do with it although it fits with the type of brutality and anger and rage and uh, it was gun violence as well and my idea about that is uh, two things the first thing is that um, the real estate thing the real estate work and the licensing didn't come till three three years after so when you're in real estate what do you want you you want a lot of money if not now eventually so that's why you get into the business I believe that's the type of person he wanted he was wanting a lot of money and he didn't have it at that time because he was working as a regular job in you know just normal job stuff maybe making 25 30,000 a year who knows but he needed a lot more than that so that shows motive for the money reason to go rob, rob a bank like that not reason to kill the people but to get the money and the typical take at a bank heist uh, you know your average one is about $1,200 I don't know how much money uh, the killer got away with this incident at the Blue, uh, Blue Ridge Savings Bank in, in Greer however I think it was probably a lot more so it says to me that the motive was there that kind of fits the lifestyle he was looking for three years prior to getting into real estate and then after being in real estate making a lot more money as reported and here's the other thing that I say about this case, uh, this unsolved case to date, uh, this tragedy at the Blue Ridge Savings Bank. Six months apart, six months before the Superbike, 35 miles between the two. And this is my number one thing. The reason why I think that he didn't say anything about this, if in fact he did it, which obviously I could never say, 
but just my idea that it is likely. Um, the reason is this is a federal crime. This is a federal crime. Knocking off a bank, murdering people inside a bank, that's why it's with the FBI. That's why it's on their website. It's a federal deal. If he confesses to that at the time that they ask him to, um, it's not jail in South Carolina or prison. It's possible going to Supermax in Colorado. And nobody, nobody wants to go to Supermax. So they can easily put your ass in Supermax if they want to. So I think maybe um, he did uh, his his deal to confess and maybe that was um, you know saving him from the death penalty something like that I haven't read too much of the case as far as how it played out you know he's in prison for life but that would give reason for anyone not to to say that they didn't do it hey I'm not involved and I'm not going to confess to it because he did confess obviously to the superbike one which was uh, extreme gun violence extreme anger and rage and no hesitation no hesitation just like this bank deal so that's interesting to me so my number one reason don't confess to it because it's a federal deal and they can easily put your ass uh somewhere not where uh, bernie madoff went some country club they can put you in a mountain in supermax nobody can come see you and you're never getting out that's a scary place for sure so i don't recommend any federal uh uh, crimes like this uh, to anyone, <laughs> let alone any crime, but they can do that for for sure if they want to. So that's why I think about um, you know the reasons why there, and you know it, it just seems to me that when he was pissed off at somebody, or when they mouthed off, or they embarrassed him, they didn't know that he had been in prison for 15 years or so, and when you're in prison. Um, I, I don't know how it works when you're 15 years old and you're going to prison. I assume that he was in a, a state jail or juvenile and then at 18 went to the state prison. That that I'm not sure about in Arizona. But when you're spending 10 plus years in a prison around hardcore criminals and you get out and then you start inserting yourself into the real world and other people don't know about your background... They also don't know, to, uh, you know, not to mouth off. They don't know, hey, I shouldn't mess with this guy or I shouldn't say something. So there he is in South Carolina wearing a sharp suit um, or trying to, uh, you know, get into that that world of real estate where you got to look the part. And people just can't see the prison stripes that he used to wear, the, the orange outfit or, um, you know, whatever color they have. Texas, it's white. Arizona, it's orange south carolina it's orange they can't see the prison garb if you know what i'm saying and then to mouth off to say something which is what happened to the uh, young couple that went to um, as reported to clean his his big property because after a while of being in real estate and having people work under him in uh, his real estate biz he uh he, you know, had that uh, property and he had a lot of acreage. And then he had this young couple come over to do his, uh, I guess, cleanest place. And one of them was mouthing off. And I could see that happening. So you don't want to you don't want to mouth off to him. And in his uh, reviews as the Amazon review killer, as they say, one of them is for a stun gun. 
And he just says in that review that he's looking for a reason, <laughs> a reason to use it on one of his uh, real estate agents that's under him in his company because he's calling them lazy. Now, when you think about that, the agents he's talking about and just, you know, saying that on his reviews under the under the uh, Amazon re uh, review name of me, just simply M-E, me, um, he says, give him a reason. And the reason would be to just like uh, you're at a bar or someplace and somebody confronts you or maybe it's a road rage incident. It's like give you a reason to to escalate, you know, just give me a reason. And that's what he was looking for. So I could totally see that happening where you don't know who you're dealing with and you pop off, you give him a reason and then you wind up with a gun in your face. and. That's what you know. He did to the young couple there, boyfriend and girlfriend, and he did to uh, another couple um, as well that came to do some work on his property. So that's just what happened with the Amazon review killer. Um, I totally can see the rage, but I don't necessarily see this as your typical serial killer kind of person who stalks his victims, picks his type, um, picks his his method of how he's going to do it and just kind of the planning, the plotting and stuff. I just think that if you catch him on a bad day and you say something and no one's around, you could wind up in a hole. And that's just the type of person he is. He's in a hole right now in prison. He's not getting out. But I think that's probably the reason if, in fact, Todd Colville, it had something to do with the Blue Ridge Savings Bank uh, triple homicide don't confess because that's a federal deal and you're not going to be in state prison. You're going to be in supermax. And I could totally see them doing that with, uh, with this guy. Um, what do you think? You know, um, you know a lot about this case and, and, uh, I'd love to hear your comments, things you got to say about it. I'll be signing off on this episode. I totally appreciate you joining me today. And, you know, next time you leave a review, you know, you got to got to understand people are listening to it, they're watching it, and nowadays you can't leave a bad review otherwise you'll get sued. So, it's got to be five stars or nothing. And with Todd Colehep, it was no stars cuz he's going to put you in the ground. So, thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I'll check you out next time. This Chip Mahoney on Drowning Verdict. Bye-bye.